Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. It was the beginning of the Lord Jesus' ministry, or at least in the first year or so of his ministry, when he healed the man who was at the pool of Bethesda. There were many miracles that Jesus performed during his ministry, and the miracles that he performed were confirmation, they were evidence to show that he is the Messiah. However, there were many people who did not believe that that was adequate. They did not believe that that was the evidence that they needed in order to believe that he was the Messiah. He did several miracles during the early part of his ministry. The healing of the man who was a leper was a very important miracle that he performed. It was very important to the Pharisees because they believed that only the Messiah could have performed that miracle. And of course, I did a complete program on the subject of the healing of the Jewish leper. But what was so interesting to me after seeing him perform that miracle and to see the evidence that was presented to the religious leaders there in Israel, there were people who were there from every town, from every community in Israel to investigate that miracle and to pass judgment concerning the Lord Jesus because of what he did. And yet even though he performed that miracle that they said only the Messiah could perform, they still were unwilling to believe that he was the Messiah. Shortly after that healing and during their investigation, he healed a man who was paralyzed. He healed a paralytic. And through that healing, he proclaimed to them that he was the Messiah. And I did a complete program on that miracle titled The Healing of the Paralytic, where he had their complete attention, where he was able to say some specific things to them that would demonstrate to them that he is the Messiah. And yet they were not willing to concede that he was the Messiah. They were not willing to believe that. You might wonder, what was their problem? Why were they hesitating? What were their issues? Well, that's the point, is that there were other issues that it wasn't just a matter of him fulfilling things that they said only the Messiah could do. It was the other things that he failed to do that they believed he should have done that he didn't do. There were other things. He did not fulfill everything that they expected the Messiah to fulfill, and he did some things that they believed were contrary to what they thought the Messiah would do. And so because of these things, he was not acknowledged as the Messiah by the religious leaders of that day. In other words, it wasn't such a matter of the things that they did believe and those things were fulfilled by him. It was also a matter of everything else that they believed that he was not willing to fulfill. It was the rest of the things that they believed that kept them from acknowledging him as the Messiah. Now, they had more than enough time to make their decision concerning the Lord Jesus. They had enough evidence to make their decision, and for the most part, they were not willing to believe in him. But during this early phase of his ministry, he still reached out to them, even though they were not willing to continue to seek him out and to continue to evaluate him, he went to them. And this was one of those circumstances 
when he attends one of the feasts of Israel. We don't know exactly which one it was. There has been some speculation concerning it being the Feast of Tabernacles. There has been some good evidence presented to show that it was a Passover. To me, that's not important. What's important to me is to see that he goes to them. They already rejected him in a partial way, but he still reaches out to the people. When he healed this man at the Pool of Bethesda, it wasn't just a matter of him healing this man. This was not just about him healing this individual and showing the mercy of God. It wasn't just about that. Now, in saying that, I don't want to minimize the significance of it. I don't want to minimize the importance of him performing a miracle. Someone certainly benefited from that. It was an act of mercy. I don't want to minimize that. But what I don't want to do is I also don't want to neglect the importance of what happens afterwards. This was not just a matter of the miracle itself. It's what happened afterwards that is of real importance when it comes to the Lord Jesus being presented as the Messiah to the entire nation, not just to this one individual. So I'm going to begin in John chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, After these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was inflicted. Again, this is John chapter 5 between verses 1 and 4. Now the angel of the Lord was there to stir up the water on occasion. The angel of the Lord was there and he stirred up the water and an individual was healed of that individual was the first one to enter into the pool. Now what I find very interesting about this is that the living God, I'm confident, the living God sent this angel to perform this healing at certain times and we don't know what those times were. I don't think that was very important. The issue to me is that the Lord sent an angel to heal people on occasion, and he provided this sign, and he did this through an angel. The Lord our God did this. Now, why did he do this? I mean, why didn't he just stir up the pool, and then anyone who got into the pool would be healed? Why would it only be one person? Why would it only be the first person? Why wouldn't the Lord be merciful to more people? And how long has he been doing this? When did this get started? And of course, when did it stop? Why did the Lord decide to do this and do this in this way? Well, it's my sincere belief that he did this in order to arrange the circumstances so that when he arrived as the Lord Jesus, he would have a lot of people available who could be healed. There would be people there who would be waiting to be healed and the Lord could heal this specific individual, that the Lord our God structured the environment, he structured the circumstances in such a way that he could perform this miracle in order to provide evidence that the Lord Jesus is the Messiah. That's what I believe concerning this, that the Lord did this for this purpose. But it's a reasonable question to ask as to why he didn't heal everybody. Why didn't he do that? Well, we don't know because he didn't tell us. We don't know why he didn't do this. But what I do find very interesting is that even though, even though the Lord Jesus was known in the entire nation as someone who could be the Messiah while he was known in this way, when he goes into the pool of Bethesda, apparently 
no one asks him to heal them. Now, this could be due to a number of circumstances. It could be simply because this was early in his ministry. Not everyone would recognize him when they saw him. There is evidence concerning this man that he did not recognize the Lord Jesus when he saw him. That certainly could be one reason. But other reasons may have to do with the fact that the people did not want Jesus to heal them. That could very well be the case. And considering the religious pressure that people were under because the leadership were not willing to accept him as the Messiah, there were many people who may have felt it was more important to be accepted by the religious leadership than it would be to be healed and be rejected by the religious leadership. There may have been some social pressure concerning healings that people were not willing to subject themselves to. There is another circumstance or another situation that we should consider, and that is that some people may not want to get well. Now, I know this might sound a little odd, but there are people who are sick who do not want to get well. There are advantages that people can have if they are sick and they are not able to do things that other people can do. For example, if a person is unable to work because they are sick, because they are disabled in some way, then they can rely on the generosity of other people. And through relying on the generosity of other people, they may be able to acquire what they need in order to survive, and so there would be no need for them to do anything more. There would be no need for them to do any additional work because they simply may not have any aspirations to have anything more in life than just what they need and to just live their life in a very simple way without having to be concerned with the burdens that other people are concerned about, things like work and things like retirement and what happens if they get sick and stuff like that. If a person can find a way to live their life, to sustain their life by not working, for example, and I'm not saying that this is real in all cases, I'm only saying that this is a situation in some cases. I personally have encountered people in this day and age who live this way, who would prefer not to do things, who would prefer not to labor because they can find other ways to acquire what they need just to satisfy themselves personally and they feel very comfortable with being disabled. They feel very comfortable with not being able to do as many things as they could do because they probably don't really want to do those things anyway. So I personally believe that there were many people who did not reach out to the Lord Jesus for healing, not because they didn't believe that Jesus wouldn't heal them, but instead because of the social pressure that they might have been under, or perhaps they didn't really want to be healed. Maybe they didn't really want to be made well. Those are some of the factors that we should consider that could have been real back then, as we know that there's plenty of evidence to show that that's very real right now. And so I wanted to mention this in order to give you a better picture concerning this circumstance, that Jesus goes into this area, he goes into this pool with the five porticos, and this place is filled with a multitude of those who are sick, blind, lame, withered, filled with a multitude And I see no evidence that anyone turns to him, asking him to heal them. Even after he heals this individual, I would expect somebody would have witnessed this. Somebody would have seen or overheard this. But again, there's no evidence to show that he healed anyone besides this one man. And so I wanted to mention this in order to give you a better picture, a better frame of reference concerning the circumstances that we have here. So in verse 5, it says that there was a man there who had been ill for 38 years. 
Now, we don't know what kind of illness he had, whether he was paralyzed or not. The word that was used was just a generic word to say that he was disabled. We don't know to what degree he was disabled, but we do know that it was 38 years. Now, this is longer than a lot of people lived back in these days. This man had been ill. He had been disabled for a long time. And considering the other evidence that we have concerning this circumstance, it appears that the reason why he was disabled was because of his sin. And this is because of what Jesus says in verse 14, where Jesus found him in the temple and said, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse happens to you. That apparently he was disabled because of his sin. We don't have absolute proof concerning this, but there is some evidence, especially verse 14, where Jesus said that, that does suggest that perhaps it was because of his sin. Now, if it was because of his sin, then there are one of two possibilities concerning his disability. The first possibility is that this is the natural consequence of a sin that he committed. And we don't know what that consequence might be, and we don't know what the sin was. But it might have been simply the natural consequence of whatever he did. And there are many sins that people can commit that may result in consequences such as these. And so I'm not going to refer to those. Instead, I'm going to refer to the other possibility, and that is that there was divine intervention. So it was either a natural consequence or it was divine intervention that put him in this situation, that put him in this circumstance where he is disabled. Now, the other thing that we can see here is that he was here because he wanted to be healed. Apparently, he did have an interest in being healed. To what degree he really wanted to be healed, we don't know. Like I said a moment ago, there are many people who do not really want to be healed, but that wouldn't mean that they wouldn't still be there. It may very well be a convenient place to be, knowing that only one person is going to be healed, and knowing that that is the first person who gets into the pool. They don't have to get very close to the pool if they don't want to, if they're not really as inspired or as interested in being healed as they may let on. But in addition to that, there were many other people there who were in their same condition. They certainly could find some camaraderie there. They could find some fellowship there. They could find some people who would be willing to accept them where other people would not accept them because these are people who would be seen as people who were sinners. These people were seen as individuals who were under the divine judgment of God, regardless of whether it was because of a natural consequence of their sin or not. In general, the population in Jerusalem viewed these individuals as being individuals who were under the divine judgment of God. And so people may not necessarily have been there for the purpose of being healed. They could very well have been there only because they would have other people that they could hang out with who were in a similar condition that they were in. And so these people would not necessarily pass the same kind of judgment against them as they would experience if they were to go out into the regular areas there in Jerusalem. This is an important thing to identify, and that is that people have a need for acceptance. And they are interested in being around other people who are willing to accept them. Now consider what would happen if they got healed. What happens to a person when they get healed? When you are there looking at a multitude of disabled people, and then one of them gets healed, how are those people going to view this individual who just got healed? They're going to reject him or her. This person is going to be rejected by the people there. They're not going to hang around there much longer, 
Why? Because first of all, they're the ones who got healed when the multitude of others did not. Would there not be a wonderful opportunity for jealousy through something like that? Wouldn't there be a wonderful opportunity for envy through something like that? They're going to see this individual as the individual who got healed instead of them. And they're going to see that person as the person who kept them from getting healed. That's one thing that you're going to have to consider. The other thing is, is that because of the divine intervention in that person's life, this person is going to now be viewed as an individual who is no longer under the judgment of God because of their sin. So how are they going to be received by those people who believe that they are still under the judgment of God because of their sin? Well, that person is not going to be viewed very highly. They're going to be rejected. Also, the person who has now been healed is going to see these other people in that context to say, look, all you other people, you have not been set free as I have been. You are not as holy and righteous as I am. That's another attitude that some people can easily have. And so to be healed can have serious consequences to your fellowship, to your relationships, to your position in society, to the means by which you make a living. You may not be able to make as much money by begging anymore, things like that. There can be some serious consequences when someone is healed. And so this man had been there for 38 years, and we can consider that to be a long time. And he can consider that to be a long time also. But you know what? After all this time, I'm very confident that he found a way to live with the circumstances that he was in, that he found a way to get along, especially to get along for that long. He found a way to survive and to survive reasonably well. Continuing in John chapter five, verse six, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? Now, what kind of a question is that? After this man had been disabled for 38 years, somebody comes up to him and asks him, do you want to get well? Now, again, that can be a very appropriate question, considering everything that I just described. And I'm not saying that to speculate on what people were thinking or feeling or how they were living back then. I'm saying that also on the basis of what I see today, that today we have many people around us who are just like I described, that not everyone really wants to get well. It's a legitimate question. It's a reasonable question. In verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Well, that shouldn't be too difficult considering the multitude of people who are there. That shouldn't be too difficult for someone to get in there before he does necessarily. But the fact is, is that Jesus asked him if he wanted to be made well, and the man didn't answer his question. Listen to me for a moment. He did not really answer his question. Instead, he says that he has no way to get into the water. That doesn't mean that he wants to get well. That just means that regardless of whether he wants to get well or not, he's not going to get well. You see, in his mind, it's not really a matter of whether he wants to get well or not. In his mind, there is only one way he can get well, and he's never going to get well. He's been doing this for 38 years, and he's not going to be able to get well because he can't get to the water fast enough. That's what he's saying, that regardless of whether he wants to or not, 
in his mind, it's not going to happen. To me, this is a way of saying that he has found a way to live comfortably in the circumstances that he is in, and whether he wants to be made well or not is not the issue to him. To him, the issue is is that he can't get to the water in time, and that is the only way that he thinks that he should be healed, that he can be healed, and this is just simply not going to happen. So why are you asking me this question? What difference does it make if I want to get well or not? That is the kind of response that he gives to Jesus. Jesus said to him in verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Now that word for pallet is actually better translated as mat. That was a straw mat that somebody who was not very wealthy would have that they would be able to sleep on. It wasn't a regular bed like most people would have made with better quality materials. The Lord Jesus just says, get up, pick it up, and start walking. Now, he didn't ask the man if he wanted to be made well in the context of, can I have your permission to heal you? He didn't ask him in that context. He wasn't asking the man for permission, obviously, because he just simply heals him. He just goes ahead and says, you are going to be healed whether you like it or not. The man has no idea who Jesus is. The man has no idea that Jesus is the Messiah and that the Messiah is right there in front of him. Jesus does not ask him to believe in him as the Messiah. He does not have any expectation that this man would have any faith in the living God or any faith in him as the Messiah. Jesus does not expect anything from this individual, and apparently there is nothing in this individual that we would normally expect to be as criteria for this individual to receive the mercy of God. There is none of that here. The man did not seek out the Lord Jesus. Jesus sought out this individual. He sought out this man. He found this man, and he just simply healed him. That's all he did. And then Jesus leaves. Then Jesus leaves. He doesn't tell the man, and by the way, I am the Messiah. And did you notice, because of the evidence that I have provided you with this healing, none of that at all. Jesus left. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet, his mat, and began to walk. He began to walk, but did he even say thank you to Jesus? We don't know. Did Jesus slip away and disappear before the man realized what had happened? We don't really know. But what we do know is that the man did not know who Jesus was. He did not recognize him, and he did not ask Jesus who he was after he was healed. He just simply got up and left. That's what he did. Now, when he left, he now goes where? Well, he leaves the area, and I can understand why he would leave the area. He wouldn't want to stick around there, because if he stuck around there, then he's going to find himself being rejected by the other people, because he's no longer one of them. Now he's somebody else. Now he's somebody different. He's going to have to go out and find a new group of friends. That's what he's going to have to do. And so he leaves the area, and he goes where? Well, he goes to the temple. That's where he goes. What would you expect? He just experienced a divine healing. Where else would he go, or where else would he eventually go, but to the presence or to the location where he would expect to see the presence of the divine? He went to the temple, the place of God. That's where he went. Now, when he got to the temple, again, he had no idea who healed him. But what he does know is that whoever healed him told him to pick up his mat and walk. Now, if this is what he heard, and this was part of the healing that he experienced, 
he's got a situation on his hands. The first thing is, is that if he does not pick up the mat and walk, he's not going to do, he's not going to fulfill what the person said who healed him. And so it might be that when he puts his mat down, he is rejecting the individual who healed him or that the Lord used in order to heal him. And if he rejects the individual, he rejects the command, he sins against that command, he violates that command, then maybe he'll become disabled again. That is a possibility concerning what the man might have been thinking and why he would have been motivated to go ahead and pick up his mat and walk. But the problem is, is that it's the Sabbath day. And if somebody sees him walking around with his mat, they might accuse him of violating the Sabbath law. Now, I personally can understand why he would pick up the mat and walk. First of all, because he was healed by someone who told him to do that. And so it would be better to sin against the Pharisees or to sin against the Sabbath law. It would be better to violate the Sabbath law than it would be to violate the individual and the person who provided the healing. So I can understand why he would be motivated to go ahead and walk around with his mat. But that risk was not really as great as you might think. Because technically, according to the Pharisees, he was not really violating the Sabbath law. There was a circumstance that would allow him to pick up his mat and walk around on the Sabbath day. He could have done that. And when he was confronted by the Pharisees, he provided them with the evidence that they would need to feel comfortable to be okay with him walking around with his mat. He provided them with the evidence to show that he did not violate the Sabbath law according to their beliefs. There was a way out for him, and he exercises that. And so I personally do not believe that there is that much risk concerning him walking around with his mat, at least not for him. The risk and the problem would be who healed him. That was going to be the problem. Who healed this man on the Sabbath day? And that was the Lord Jesus, because again, as I described earlier, this healing is not about the man at the pool at Bethesda. This is not about the healing of the man. This is about the Lord Jesus providing an opportunity for the people, for the leadership of the people, to be confronted with his messianic claims once again. And I will explain this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you, man.